Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you today. Uh, this morning, we're going to be picking up where we left off. Um, it's been a while. And the last time we studied from 1 John, uh, we talked about uh, not loving the world. And today's passage starts off by talking about the Antichrist. So you can start turning to 1 John chapter 2. This is a passage that at, at first glance, when you look at it, you think, well, there's uh, seems kind of hard to apply that to, to our situation today, to us as Christians today. But I think when we get to the end, we will see that this, this passage is really a, a perfect, perfect match for um, all Christians at any, at any point in their experience. Just a little bit of background on 1 John again. He wrote this letter to uh, a church or churches that were dealing with false teaching, probably an early form of what's called Gnosticism, which is that they taught that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh, that um, the key to salvation isn't so much believing in Jesus as it is finding some kind of special inner enlightenment, inner knowledge. And then, um, especially maybe this, this flavor of Gnosticism seemed to teach that what you did with your body doesn't really matter. And John's trying to write to them to, to reassure them and kind of re-anchor them and tell them um, what the truth is, remind them. And there's been a division in this church. These false teachers have apparently left, they've moved on, but the church is left a little tottery. And I wonder what they were feeling, experiencing in this time. Was it, was it doubt, confusion, discouragement? Wondering what exactly are we supposed to be doing here? What really is the truth? Where do we go from here? Let's start reading at verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come, therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed with by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lies of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Here's how we're going to study this passage. There are three kind of main 
subtopics in this passage. He talks about the Antichrist. He talks about the anointing. And he talks about the abiding. And I want us to look at what John has to say about each of these three subjects and what his main points are on those subjects. And then once we've done that, I think we'll be able to step back and say, all right, this is, this is the main, here's the main point for this entire passage. And, um, and then we can talk about what does this mean to us today. All Scripture is useful. And this passage in 1 John is going to be useful to us. So the Antichrist. That's the first thing he talks about. These Antichrists. He says these people who are in your midst, they were not just um, confused teachers. They weren't just mistaken teachers. They were false, and they were actually Antichrist. The word Antichrist occurs only four times in the New Testament. Three times here in this passage, and then once in 2 John. The Greek word is literally Antichristos. And here's what John has to say about these Antichrists. First, he says... They're of the same mold as the Antichrist. Verse 18, As you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. So he reminds his readers that they already know about the Antichrist. And I wonder how they know. How did they know about the Antichrist? It may have been Paul's writings. Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 describes the one who's called, he doesn't use the word antichrist, but he refers to him as the man of lawlessness who will take his seat in the temple, displaying himself as being God, performing wonders through the power of Satan and deceiving many. But the Lord will return and there's not going to be much of a struggle. It says he will kill him with the breath of his mouth. So without getting too wrapped up into eschatology here. Uh, The basics are that before Jesus returns, an antichrist will appear that that deceives many. And, but long before then, many antichrists have appeared and probably will be operating. They may not have the ability to perform wonders like the antichrist, but they have the same goal. They have the same aim, which is to deceive people. And that's, that's the spirit behind them. They aim to deceive. They're of the same mold as the Antichrist. That's the first thing he says about these Antichrists. The second thing he says is that they remind us that it's the last hour. Now, there's some disagreement about how to interpret that expression, last hour. And um, I don't want to spend too much time on it. I just think basically it means that he's saying this is the last era. Um, we are in the last era. Now that, now that Christ has died... The, and risen again, the next thing on the horizon is really his return. He's going to come back. And the Antichrist remind us that Satan is trying desperately to limit what Jesus did on the cross and make it ineffective for as many as possible. But someday God's going to stop, step in and stop it. We're living in the last hour. Literally, you know, the end really could be right around the corner. The third thing he tells us about these Antichrists in verse 19 is that they are not of us. That apparently wasn't obvious to um, John's readers 
at least not at the beginning. It wasn't obvious to them at one point. These false teachers, they acted like they belonged, but they were really wolves in sheep's clothing. And when the wool came off, the wolves took off. And their departure made it obvious what was already true, which is they did not belong. And then finally, he says in verses 22 and 23 here, he says they are liars and deceivers. They deny that Jesus is the Christ. They deny the Father. They don't have the Father. And in 2 John 1.7, he also adds, they do not confess that Jesus came in the flesh. I think that's one of the reasons why we're, uh, one of the strong evidences for saying this was an early form of Gnosticism that they were teaching. So the first major point John's making in this passage is that those trying to, to deceive you are anti-Christ. Now let's talk about this anointing. He's, John says, you have been anointed. John's readers are Christians. They have been anointed by the Holy One. That's what it says in verse 20. And I believe the Holy One is the Father, and the anointing that he talks about is the Holy Spirit. Now here's something kind of interesting to think about. That John's readers, these Christians, are following Christ. Right? It's not too complicated. And Christ literally means anointed one. The anointed one. So uh, they are following the anointed one. So there's kind of an interesting parallel going on here. The antichrists are of the same mold as the antichrist. And we anointed ones are of the same mold as the anointed one that we're following. What, what do we know about this anointing? In verse 27, he tells us that it abides in us. It's inside of us. We are the um, temple of the Holy Spirit, says elsewhere. It teaches, it teaches us, it teaches you, John says. In fact, John says, you have no need that anyone should teach you. So why am I even up here, is what I'm wondering. Uh, he's not saying that, that teachers are not necessary. Uh, there's plenty of scripture that talks about the need for teachers. Colossians 3.16 says that we need to teach and admonish each other. Teaching is part of the Great Commission. This very letter that, that John wrote is full of teaching. So what is he saying? I, I think he's simply saying that you don't need any of the kind of teaching that these guys have to offer. You do not need this kind of teaching. Yes, you, you need teaching about what it means to live out the gospel, but you don't need teaching that is supposed to supplement or add to the gospel as though the gospel is, is limited and is insufficient. So, this anointing teaches you, and it is, turns out to be a, a perfect teacher because it teaches only truth and it teaches all things. Let's look at these, both of these aspects briefly of, of this teaching. In verses 20 and 21, he says, you've been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. You know truth because you've been anointed by the One who is truth. Uh, John 16, 13 says, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. And so what that means is that if we are following the Holy Spirit, we will not be led into, uh, into a wrong direction or into a bad choice. It will always line up 
with the written inspired word. He will never lead us into, into a false direction. Now, we can deceive ourselves pretty easily. We can misinterpret our own wants and desires and feelings for, for something and, and think that they are the Holy Spirit speaking to us when they're not. So uh, that's why we go back to the written word and that's why we listen to others who are also listening to the Spirit. But if we are being led by the Spirit, we're guaranteed to be walking in truth. And in verses 21 and 22, John seems to be, I think, gently reminding his readers that, you know, you guys were already equipped to identify these, these teachers as being false because you have the truth. You have what it takes to recognize what is not of the truth. They were not of us they, because they're not of the truth. They weren't anointed with the spirit of truth. So this, this teaching, like I said, he, the anointed one teaches us perfectly and that he teaches perfect truth, never mistaken. The, the second aspect to his teaching is that it's, he teaches us in all things. Verse 27, his, anointed, his anointing teaches you about everything. So everything you need to know in order to be a, a fully equipped follower of Christ comes from the spirit of truth. And again, the teachers do, do have a role, and, um, but the truth still really comes from the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So he teaches all things. He's not lopsided, not unbalanced. He will grow us in every area. So that's what John says about this second subject, this anointing. It abides in you, it teaches you, and it turns out to be a perfect teacher. It teaches truth, and it teaches all things. Third subject is this abiding. You must abide in the truth. You must abide in Him. We need to abide in what we're taught, and we need to abide in Him. He says this uh, three times in this passage, really. In verse 24, he says, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. So what you heard in the beginning turns out to still be valid. Nothing has changed. The gospel was true then. It's still true now. You know, there are some things that we all learned in first grade, hopefully first grade, that um, are always going to be true. For example, simple math facts like one plus one equals two. That is always going to be true. And there's no circumstance that's going to come into our lives that will make that little math fact no longer true. Anyone who decides that this doesn't apply anymore is, is kind of, you know, we feel sorry for those people because they're mentally deranged. Someone who decides the gospel doesn't apply anymore is spiritually deranged. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. It, it, it always applies. Verse 27 then says, As his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So the Holy Spirit has led, has led you into truth. Let it continue to lead you. And then verse 28, And now little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. And you know, the one thing about what Satan is doing uh, through the work of the Antichrist and, and others is that it does remind us 
that, uh, that Jesus is going to return someday. And when he returns, many are going to shrink from him in shame and in horror. But those who are abiding in him will have confidence, complete opposite. And um, they will have confidence in a day in which the rest of the world is in chaos. So John tells his readers three times that they need to either abide in the truth that they heard or they need to abide in him. What does abiding mean? Well, I want to look at that in, in a minute in the next section because now I think we can kind of take a step back and say we, we have uncovered John's main message in this passage. There are, there are three major sub-points I think John's making in this passage we've read. He's saying that those trying to, to deceive you are antichrist. He's saying, but you have been anointed by the spirit of truth. And then finally, you must abide in that truth, and you must abide in Him. And I would say, if I had to pick one verse to represent the main point of this passage, um, I would probably pick verse 24, which says, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. That is a message that that we need to hear today. Uh, It's always applicable to us. What you heard in the beginning, you still need. Nothing's changed. You need to abide in that truth and grow in that truth and continue pursuing it. And we can make this message very personal. I can say your name like Delvin. Let that what you heard in the beginning abide in you. And Mary Sue, let that what you heard in the beginning abide in you. And anybody in here, you know, could say all of your names and say that that challenge to you uh, because it applies to all of us it continues to apply to us and and you know we may not face the, the kind of false teaching that John's readers face I don't think we feel like we are being attacked by antichrist or anything around us but although there is false teaching out there but maybe not in the same way that, that John readers, John's readers faced, faced it. But Satan is still trying to achieve the same thing. He's trying to get us to, to loosen our grip on something we need to hold fast to. And he does it in different ways. He does it through the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life that John talked about a few verses earlier. He, he attacks us in hard times. He tempts us with fear and discouragement. He wants us to feel dissatisfied with what we've got, to persuade us that what we heard in the beginning really isn't good enough anymore, or that we're missing out. There are all these different attacks from Satan, but he, he, is, he is a liar. Uh, when we abide in him, we're missing out on nothing. For example, let me give you a list of... of um, that comes from Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Tell me what's missing from this list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Pretty good list. And those are, those are the fruits of the Spirit. Um, you're familiar with, it, with that verse, those verses there. And that is, that is the anointing that we're supposed to abide in. 
And that's the, that's the fruit that our souls really need. And I think, I think even people who belong to the world, I think, um, unless they're maybe totally corrupted, are still, uh, their souls are still longing for this kind of thing. What's more, what is more fulfilling than a heart filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? That is what the Spirit is aiming to work in us. And you know, there are times when, without really even thinking about it, I think we can kind of cast around for uh, something else, you know, or something to supplement, or some other source of these things. When, when hardship comes, maybe we wonder, is, is God really taking care of us? Is He really going to take care of us? Or maybe the world is pulling at us with its distractions and, and we might think, well, are we really, maybe we're kind of missing out. Do we really need to be this focused on this, uh, this God thing? But there really is only one source for what we need. Uh, John 15, 4 and 5. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Nothing equals zero. It's another simple math fact that we should all remember. Let's briefly talk about what abiding looks like. I'll just touch on three aspects of abiding. The word abide is, is a simple word. It means to remain in something and to continue in something. And I think three aspects of abiding are believing, obeying, and staying. We need to believe Him. We need to hold fast onto the truth that we already have. Truth that doesn't change. Let that what you heard. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. You don't turn aside from it. You continue in it. You don't give in to doubt. Um, this is very basic stuff, but it, it's so so important. You just don't entertain doubt about this. And any teaching that comes along that is contrary to the gospel is you recognize it as being false. You recognize that anyone who speaks contrary to the gospel. And, and contrary to what Jesus did on the cross, is a false teacher. He's not of you. This is part of, this is the believing part of abiding. And then there's the obeying part of abiding. Verse 27 again. His anointing teaches you about everything, and then just as it has taught you, abide in Him. And if you're really listening to the teaching of the Holy Spirit and and, and um listening to his teaching, you're also going to be following it, right? If, if you're abiding in him, we'll be following the Spirit's leading. You obey his teaching. In John 15, verse 10, Jesus said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And then the third aspect is, is staying, staying with him, staying before him. Abide in him, it says. And that's, that's what Dan talked about several weeks ago when he talked about sitting at the feet of Jesus, like Mary did. A daily feeding on the bread of life, getting our strength from the vine, always remembering without the vine we can do nothing. At, at no points do those branches grow up enough that uh, they don't need the vine anymore. And circumstances will never make the branches not need the vine. 
You don't look elsewhere. You stay at Jesus' feet. So I think abiding in Him can, can be summarized as believing, continue to believe what we heard, obeying, and staying with Him, continue to look to Him. So let's recap here. It was a, a trying time for the church that John is writing to. And what John is reminding them in this passage is that uh, those who were trying to deceive you, they are antichrist. But you have been anointed with the spirit of truth, the source of all truth. And you must abide in that truth and you must continue in it. And his main point is this. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. And that's a message we need to hang on to today. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. If we ever feel like we're lacking in any area, the answer is not to look elsewhere, but to look to Jesus all the more. And then the final outcome of abiding in him is this confidence when he returns. And now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. God bless you as you abide in him this week.